Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. OutKick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine with Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. We say hello to you from Music City. I... I'm struggling with the coverage of Hugh Jackson claiming that Cleveland paid him to tank. And the reaction from those that, you know, from CBS to Fox to ESPN, you know, that all write in these columns saying that the NFL has a monstrous problem on its hands if teams are throwing games to get a better draft pick as if this is the first time we've ever discussed this in the history of the sport. Yesterday, we named multiple occasions. The New Orleans Saints absolutely tanked when they were sitting healthy players down the stretch of their season, trying to get into the sweepstakes for a quarterback. Now, they lost out. They lost out because another team lost better than they did. But there's no secret that these teams, while they will point to, you know, we're going to continue to fight and our guys are always going to play hard, There's no doubt in my mind that coaches have sat players down the backstretch of a season for this very reason. Well, and I don't, I don't understand the shock value from media that are writing these columns saying the NFL has a massive problem now, but we all knew this. Well, as we discussed with Dockage the other day, there's a massive difference between that and a, a, a directive from ownership to lose, um, and, and, yeah, there's a fine line between some of it. Some, some teams have done poorly while tanking. Uh, you know, you can put your young guys out there and have them try to win. It's still a different thing than I need to lose this game with a play call or um, on this series or things like that. You're getting into um, the – I. There's a a distinction to me, a very clear distinction between it's better for us not to win this game than I'm instructed by my boss to lose it. Um, Well, it's not just the instruction from the boss to lose it. Financial incentive. Hutton's right. The tanking's gone on for a long time, but it's financially incentivizing someone to lose a game, if true, is the bombshell part of this. Think about Bounty Gate. For years, coaches have said, hit the hell out of the opposition. If you get a crack at the quarterback, hit him hard. His leg is bothering. Uh, The receiver, hit the receiver low. But when you add $15,000 rewards for knocking people out of games, suddenly that becomes a big deal and a scandal, and coaches get suspended or fired because of it. It's the money that's the problem. If, If owners are actually bribing coaches to go out of their way to coach in a way to lose an NFL game, that is a big deal. Now, I think you, Jackson... Tanking is not, is not new. It's happened. 
But I talked about it yesterday. It's the natural tanking. You reset your roster in a way that your team's terrible, and you're going to lose in hopes that you're going to get a very high draft pick the next year. But telling a coach, I'm going to give you money to go lose this game, that changes the dynamic of it, much like Bounty Gate was changed from a coach saying, go knock the hell out of the quarterback to, I'm going to give you $15,000 if he doesn't play this game. Well said. I think I think you Jackson does muddy the waters. He doesn't appear to have receipts. He's not um, expressing it very clearly as to what he does. And I think he was very clearly not a very good football coach. So I don't think there was a switch for him to flip from going to try to win to clearly trying to lose. Not that he was trying to lose. I don't think he was a very capable football coach in terms of trying to win. He made bad decisions. He, he fumbled around. I don't remember the specifics, but I remember us talking about just how badly he was managing things and oh, fumbling stuff yes. and sputtering around. Brian Flores has clearly got some qualities of a good head football coach. He had a very bad team. We were discussing it but well before any of this was known as to how getting five wins out of that team in that nine-game stretch was some extraordinary coaching by a guy with an inferior roster who was winning games he should not be winning, which tells you then if he had taken the code red order from Stephen Ross, what he would have been able to do because it wouldn't have been hard for him to lose those games. He got guys fired up to go out and compete and overachieve, which is a hell of a job by him. And he did it again this year. He had a bad schedule, but he still had a a lot of occasions to lose this year during that eight-game stretch. They played lousy teams. We documented it. We saw that streak come to an end here in Nashville where they finally ran into a good football team. But again, it would have been easy for him when they lost, what, seven of eight at the beginning of the year, for him to have lost that team. Well, so when they were bad, I and he didn't of it, lose that team. Part of it from the ownership perspective, again, if true, and I hope these guys have receipts. I don't know why they would bring this up if they didn't. Um, the, the idea would be to me, okay, why does the owner have to go through the process of incentivizing the loss? It's because your coach feels the pressure to win. And by incentivizing the loss, you're, take, you're essentially telling them, hey, don't worry about it. You're cool if we yeah, lose. You're coming back. And there's, 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 you know, I'm looking at the huge, Hugh Jackson was one of the worst coaches we've seen in years in this league. And, you know, if, if true there, then Haslam is saying, hey, you're coming back despite how bad you have been. Right? That was, that would have been the year right after Hard Knocks, too. If, I, if I'm lining up the years correct. And we, we know how that preseason went behind the scenes. So, again, it's, it's uh, I think if you have a coach who's on the hot seat that's coaching for his job, the reason to offer the money would be to take the pressure off a little bit. Yeah, and I think it's dangerous even so. Like, look, and if I'm, you, not, in, if I'm, I'm not saying Flores, I'm for it. I'm just saying no, it happens. But if I'm Flores and you're telling me that, that's good for right now for this time period, but inevitably it's going bad and I'm looking for another job and that's a bad mark on my record, right? I can't say to you when you're Ziggy Wilf and I'm going to apply for the Minnesota Vikings job four years later – well, you know, some of those losses were when Stephen Ross told me it was okay for me to lose. Ultimately, you as Ziggy Wilf are judging me on did I win or did I lose. I, I just simply don't buy Hugh Jackson's claim, and I don't think he has any. No, you, he's muddying the waters for yeah, Flores. Well, okay, but but here's where the waters get muddy for Flores too. Stephen Ross's response to to Flores. 
With regards to the allegations being made by Brian Flores, I'm a man of honor and integrity and cannot let, let them stand without responding. I take great personal exception to these malicious attacks, and the truth must be known. His allegations are false, malicious, and defamatory. We understand there are media reports stating that the NFL intends to investigate his claims, and we will cooperate fully. That doesn't sound like a guy who believes there are receipts out there. Yeah. I think, you know, denial runs strong for somebody. Here's the strong, other thing. Denying that strong, Paul, yeah. doesn't sound like a guy who's – he sounds like he's been properly vetted by his attorneys that there's no email, no text, no recordings of him offering $100,000 per loss. Because you don't come out that strong. Well, here's you another thing. You give a thing. much shorter statement that's not talking about your integrity and being a man of honor and malicious attacks from them unless you are 150% certain he's got no proof of it. Right. And that's a problem for Brian Flores. I, I don't know, because it, it's pretty well reported that Miami was willing to give up the house in a trade to go get Burrow, to go get the number one pick, to draft Burrow. And if you're willing to go give up the house, it's not that big a jump to me to hear that your your owner was willing to lose the games necessary to get that pick of course, instead of giving up Of all course that he wanted to lose those games. Of course he wanted to tank. I'm not denying that. I'm simply saying he believes that he doesn't have the proof of whatever he's saying was offered. That that's that's my point. And to and to prove this lawsuit, you're going to need those receipts. Well, Cameron that Wolf. he gave him an official offer of a hundred thousand dollars. That is the most damning allegation. Cameron Wolf, and that sounds like a, a guy who believes there's no there's Multiple. no proof. Cameron Wolf, from by the way, the NFL Network, which has been soft on this as expected, and Michael Silver, who we know a little bit, has tweeted out he's no longer uh, he's been out of the NFL Network now for three or four or five months. Tweeted something about watch how softly the NFL Network will will cover this. It's been that way as we would expect. Yet. Cameron Wolf of the NFL Network sticks his neck out and says he's got somebody who's telling him they heard this, heard, saw, witnessed it, that Ross told Flores this. So there's at least one report out there that the the thing is maybe, maybe there are emails, maybe there are text messages, but Cameron Wolf saying there is at least one person saying that they witnessed it so that's a pretty strong report from the uh, a media outlet that Stephen ross owns 132nd of i don't know that one witness to it is going to be enough to prove it i mean i, I think the way he the way that he put certain things in the not he his three attorneys for brian flores put certain things in this lawsuit in quotations were things that clearly are going to come out in discovery of emails or texts that he mm -hmm. has because there are quotations around certain words like tanking uh, for one of them. And that's an email clearly from Chris Greer that's going to come out at some point. I, Paul, I, just, I still don't know that some third party saying, I overheard Stephen Ross saying he would pay him $100,000 is enough. He's going to need receipts. He's going to need a text message. He's going to need an email. He's going to need a voice recording of, of that happening to prove that to be the case. For Stephen Ross to lose his team, which is a viable option if this is true and can be proven, he would need to produce well, that. Well, that's for the NFL. And I'm not saying it didn't happen. That's for the NFL. I'm that's just not saying for the Stephen Ross sounds like a confident guy. Well, these are two different things. Proving that he made this offer is one thing and that, that the suit deals with that. 
taking the team away from his NFL business. That's a separate thing than the suit. But that's that's what it's going to take, though. The suit, the suit being proven right in regards to the one hundred thousand dollar offer is what would take down Stephen Ross. Because I really don't think this NFL investigation is going to do it. Them promising to well, investigate. The NFL investigation is nonsense when they already said it's without merit. This is another thing where the NFL says, we're going to investigate ourselves and we're going to, and guess what? It's going to be very quick and tidy and we're going to find nothing. Well, well the, Also, said, there won't be any paper on it I, like there wasn't for the Washington but investigation. You're, you're confusing the two because the NFL didn't say that was without merit. They said allegations of racism within our, our league. Or the, whole, the whole statement was about we have gone to great extents to make sure that we are as diverse as possible in our hiring pro- uh, practices. Anything else, it, it's without merit. Yeah, you're correct. They, that, haven't, that's they haven't addressed the this. The separate issue that they're investigating is the $100,000 bribe. But they're not very good at investigating themselves. Well, they're not, well, go- they're not going to come up with the evidence that that happened and then turn it over to the Brian Flores camp. Hey, here's what we found. You guys are right. <laughs> Well, he offered I mean, him this. Now right. continue to sue us. But they've had the Mitchell report and stuff like that. Once upon a time, serious allegations produced outside investigation. But with the with this, I mean, forgive me, but this is on Brian Flores to prove. Like you're, you're making these accusations. Hugh Jackson's making these accusations. It's not like the NFL now has to go investigate this and produce the evidence that Flores is claiming he has. Produce. I mean, show us. I mean. For, to me, if you're filing a lawsuit like this, you have the backup necessary to what? prove these allegations right. I would expect them to, so to, for those that are to going provide to say, that in court, for, not to the league. Well, for those that are going to say, um, well, the, the NFL is just going to you know, do their normal investigation to protect their own. To me, if I'm suing someone and making the accusations I'm making, I would have the evidence where the NFL can't sweep it under the rug. That's fair. That should be that should be the bar. And he's not taking the evidence because to the league because he doesn't trust the league, which I wouldn't either. Take it to court, which is what he's planning on doing. But if 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 it's true, and the NFL is able to sweep it under the rug, I I look to the Flores and the Hugh Jackson camp for not being able to back up what they're saying. Oh, he's got to prove it's it in court. Hollow he's making he's making a it solid. It should not be that easy. He's making a big accusation in court, and he's got to prove it. Has Hugh Jackson entered the class action part of this? Not officially. Not so it's just Brian Flores still, He just right? came forward saying that it's happened to him too. By the way, if you want an example of taking, go to the 2014 season. Uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Tennessee Titans battling for the number one overall pick. The Bucs won it. And correct me if I'm wrong, but that went, that, it came down to the final game um, where they would have their pick the following April with Winston and Mariota. And the final game, they were, the Bucs were hosting the New Orleans Saints and happened to get an early lead. They went into halftime, not needing to win that game. And in the second half, they benched several starters as the Saints went on to win that the game. The Bucs did. And the Bucs benched then, several starters. They had nothing to win except for the number one overall pick. And it was Cutter, and right? And no one said a word about it. Oh, I, no think, I think there was a lot said about it, if I'm remembering correctly. They were asked about it, and they said, well, we just decided to – to pull our guys. I remember talking about this on Midday half. 180 and saying they absolutely tanked. And, you know, you're benching starters um, in a game you, you accidentally were winning at halftime. There's a reason you come out in the second half and oh, yeah. dirt, it was ridiculous. Cutter's stuff. benching guys. It was, it was ridiculous. And he was just kind of saying, yeah, we just was decided to look at Was it Cutter or Lovey Smith a, at that point? Yeah, I don't remember. 
we just decided to sit our guy. Now, Lovey Smith was hired to help with Winston. So uh, 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 Cutter was hired to help with Winston after Winston was. So Lovey Smith place. was there. Yeah, so it would have, would have been Lovey Smith. Yeah, but I I, I remember that race for number one. Ridiculous excuses by Tampa Bay as to why they did what they did that were just BS. Yeah, and then the following year, the Titans ended up with the number one pick. And they were battling Cleveland. Ended up, they both traded out of those spots. They tr- Cleveland traded with Washington for the number two, and after the, t- the, the Titans traded traveled with, the with LA. Yeah, yeah. It, it it happens. It's just a big story now because a coach is now saying, "Hey, this is a part of the reason why I'm out of the league." So here's my question, quickly, and we'll talk about this in more detail later. If you went to a lottery, how much is enough? I was thinking just I the first know. four. That's spots. a good question. First four spots is enough for me. So. If you're the worst it's not, team it's in not the league, the NBA's formula it's too much. No, There's no, like you don't 13, have to go that deep. They have yeah. If you were the worst team in the league, the the worst you could end up with is the fourth pick. But it's not enough to make you I see, I have to be the worst team in the league because I like, if there's I a like number four one quarterback, or five as the number, yeah, I, I would say an even number, but four or six. And to me, six sounds like a lot. I'd say four. Or it top, doesn't have to be extreme. Top five, and, and that and. and Paul, I know you raised this issue, and you're, you're right. This may be something that comes with this, some yeah. actual change that comes from these allegations. And as we start to look back at the Tampa Bay example you threw out there, Hutton, hey, logical conclusion, this may be one where the NBA has it right. They just have too many yeah, teams in that to, lottery. Yeah, yeah, I've seen somebody put out everybody that doesn't make the playoffs. That's ridiculous. It doesn't have to be anything like that. It just has to be something where – Number one is not so valuable that you do everything you can to get there. We've got Willie Anderson coming up, but I I will say, you know, this year is a good example of not tanking and actually winning. The the Jacksonville Jaguars beat the Colts in week 18 and ended up with the number one overall pick. So, I mean, for the NFL, if I'm the league, I'm saying for whatever happened then, look what just happened this year. Yeah. Also, the different years, different prizes. Right. Well, you still get the number one pick in the draft. You get your pick of anybody. I mean, right. that, that holds some weight if you're rebuilding the same way Houston and the Jets are doing the same thing. But if there was a huge quarterback this year, even if you have your quarterback, you get that pick and you can turn that right. into a bounty. This year, with there not being a singular guy and, there, and in this you case, don't need that pick the same In this same case, way. it was Burrow, right? In Miami? Yes. Okay. Well, the quarterback carries a lot more weight. But the, I mean, the, we, we were glorifying the suck for luck campaign. 2012. I mean, again, like tank, tank for Tua was a hashtag. What a nope. mistake. And then the Miami Dolphins ended up with it. Yeah, I, I think the difference is the, the money element of it that changes it. Uh, it's gone on for a while, but when and you're, you're owners offering 100K, that, that would be a big difference. And with the gambling element, illegal or legal. of Burrow being the number one overall pick, one of the top players ever for the Cincinnati Bengals is Willie Anderson. He's about to join us to talk about his Bengals being back in the Super Bowl. They're back. That is next on Outkick 360. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. 
and their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless from researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience. Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. We had our next guest on a couple of weeks ago to discuss him being a finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It's a fan favorite. And then his team, the Bengals. Backed by popular have demand. Have gone on the run. Felt like they were a year ahead. This is their year as they end up in Super Bowl 56 taking on the Rams. Welcome back to Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. We say hello to a Bengals legend. Willie Anderson joins us. Willie, hope you're doing well, man. I'm doing good. How about it? What what was it like watching Cincy win on the road at Arrowhead where everyone thought this was where the road would end and instead they go on the road and beat Mahomes and Andy Reid and the Chiefs that are capable of doing all these great things. And in the second half, it was about Cincy's defense more than it was the Chiefs' offense. Definitely, man. Um, It was an um, historic win. Um, and the defense led the way. Um, very, very underrated, um, under the radar defense. That if you haven't been following the Bengals for a long time this season, their defense has been playing that way all year. They've been um, sacking the passer. They've been getting timely turnovers, giving Joe Burrow and the offense the ball back to them. So, if, if, you, if you've been watching the Bengals for this season, uh, that performance by the defense. Then- what has the energy been like around this team and, and the the vibe of this group this year? Just confidence, you know, um, very very confident, um, um, borderline, you know, but, but it's more it's more cocky and confidence into their um, their ability to win football games. They just trust themselves. They believe. They, no matter how many points they're down, I think it's a big. Um, it's indicative of, 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 of Zach Taylor molding his team into his image. Very confident, smart team. And probably the least, uh, the least penalized team in all of football, which comes in handy. Those tight games they be in because you know they're not going to do the dumb, the dumb penalty, dumb mistakes to harm some team. So having that as an advantage of not being a big penalized team is, is something I'm sure Zach has, um, has prepped them on. They play hard. They, and they, just never, they, they never give up, man. It's kind of like like the um, we call them the cardiac kids, the young guys that, that that have your heart give you a heart attack by the end of the game. I know this team has a great locker room culture, Willie. That nobody's getting <clears throat> to the Super Bowl without one, and and you can tell the way the guys get along. I, I'm curious about the the broader culture there, and I know in in your playing days and and after the the Bengals had a reputation for for being cheap, uh, maybe not contractually cheap. I hope you you got good contracts and had good money in your pocket, but you, mm-hmm. they're still the only team without an outdoor practice, uh, indoor practice facility. You heard stories about the, the bad towels that you guys had and, and stuff like that. I'm wondering what your perception is with Katie Blackburn having more power with Duke Tobin having more power 
What's the progress the Bengals have made in those kind of departments? What kind of franchise is it now to play for? Well, since 2003, since Marvin Lewis came in, all the things you, you just named, those things stopped. We don't have an indoor facility. That, that was a big thing for all of us. But as far as the way we were treated while there, all that stuff changed once Marvin got there. Marvin was able to get Mike Brown's ear better than any coach um, in Bengals history, probably previously before him. Um, so many things changed. So there, guys weren't complaining about the things you named um, after 2003. Now, in the 90s, when I first got there mid-90s, you know, things were kind of rough. <laughs> but after Marvin, you know what I mean, things changed drastically. You know, like you said, contracts were handed out, you know, um, I got several. They paid Carson Palmer $100 million. He paid a bunch of guys. Even this season right here, they they unloaded the checkbook to go get guys. And people are people who haven't been following the Bengals closely, surprised. But they've been spending money for a long time, man, since 2003. You know, that 2011 to 2015 roster was probably one of the best rosters in all of football back then. Just unfortunately, they couldn't win it. They couldn't win a playoffs game. But Marvin changed the program around and changed the culture. And the mindset of the brass, I think Zach Taylor is benefiting off that mindset and, and culture change. But that stuff's been gone, man. That stuff's been gone for a long, long time. I'm curious about the Bengals fan base uh, because I feel like every time there's a team that doesn't often get to the Super Bowl, uh, I learn so much about that fan base. The Saints in 2009. Didn't realize there were so many Saints fans uh, until 2009 mm -hmm. happened. Uh, I found out this week that John Legend is a Cincinnati fan. Uh, and from the area, for for example, um, you have a connection with that fan base. How would you describe that region and that fan base? Because to be completely honest, Willie, it's not one that I have a great grasp on just how big it is. Hey man, I played for the Bengals from 2003. I'm sorry, from 96 to 2008. I got cut beginning of 2008 season. I've never seen nothing about no damn John Legend. Man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm glad I'm not alone. I, that was the first time hey. I, I found out he was a big fan. Hey, he posted. They they reposted the uh, the Bengals uh, Instagram page, which their social media is one of the best social media uh, groups in all of football, probably in all of sports. Um, you know, we were the last team to get a website in 2000 with Jeff Hobson, but uh, they posted something about Je uh, John Legend saying, "I can't believe the Bengals in the Super Bowl." And I posted on I posted on Instagram like, when did John Legend become a Bengals fan? Like, <laughs> so many Bengals fans right now, man. I live in Atlanta, Georgia, and so many people are now are Bengals fans. Uh, it's it's amazing. But those fans are, you know, unbelievable, man. I know every every team says this, but every team hasn't had the history that we've had. And um, I put on Twitter uh, last week after the game that that win was for the fans because. They stuck with that team, and, and they're so frustrated, probably the most frustrated fan base in all of football, um, haven't, haven't had that much success um, in the playoffs in, in since 1990, um, had two two big game losses in, in the Super Bowl. But so for those guys and, and women to, to stick with this this team and the major support they show guys like myself, um, um, guys who are ex-players that they love their shows on social media and, and just doing things, you know, got, they, they had a real big push for all of us. Um, for the Hall of Fame deal. So, I mean, that, that fan base, man, is unbelievable. And I, I'm more happy for – everyone always asks me, oh, I'm so happy for you, Will. I'm like, man, look, I'm not playing. I'm happy for those fans that have stood with the Bengals thick and thin through some of the worst seasons ever and still cheering, still wearing their jerseys, 
still going out there and supporting the team. And now they have something to pay off for. Because we we as players, we, we remember some of those bad years that we had and, and fans wondering, should they still come to the games? And, you know, they they mad at the organization for not doing this, not doing this. So now in the last couple of years, you know, I know the two Zach years were pretty bad and Marvin last couple of years were pretty bad. But, you know, from 03 to about 2015, they've been really a happy fan base, you know. But now to be in this position right now, I'm super excited for them because they waited the longest time for this. Bengals legend, one of the best offensive linemen to ever play the game, Willie Anderson, our guest. Willie, when you watch this Bengals O-line play, we know they're going to allow sacks. They're going to Guys are going to tee off on the quarterback. Uh, it happened here in Nashville. Uh, you mentor and coach young offensive linemen right now. What What is it like from your perspective watching the Bengals O-line and then watching that offense overcome the protection issues that they have? Well, I've been saying for the last couple of weeks um, that the Bengals offensive line, their, their job lately is to give – they've been giving Joe Burrow about 15 to 17 passes where he has great protection. You know what I mean? He's not getting it for 30 passes like everybody wants, but 15 to 30, 15 to 17 passes, he gets, you know, unscathed, untouched. And those 15, 17 plays, Joe makes some huge plays. And it's kind of like he's, he kind of knows that. He knows he's going to get banged around some, but in those 15, 17 plays, they give him a clean pocket. He, he works his magic. Also, the underrated part of that Bengals offensive line is the way they run block. They run block their tails off. If you've seen the game last week, they ended the overtime game running in football, pounding down their throats, and they've been doing it to several teams all year. Their, their run game, there's a reason Joe Mixon is a pro bowler. He's not running by himself. He's running because there are holes and lanes being made by the offensive line, and that's one of the strong points is to run in football. So we know 30, 35 passes, you know, they've shown they haven't held up really good, but for 15 to 17 plays, they give them a clean pocket, and Joe and those three guys, you know, work their magic. So if we, if we rewound 10 months ago, 11 months ago, what would Will, Willie Anderson have told us if we said, hey, should the Bengals go with Panay Sewell or Jamar Chase? Were you on board with the line? Because many were. Many said they've got to correct their offensive line first and then work on the skill positions. They went with the opposite, and, and for good reason. Chase is a superstar. Absolutely. So there was a, um, the Bengals fans had this uh, thing on social media called um, the Bengals Civil War. And it was this side of the fan group with pick, picking Panay Sewell, and the other side picking Jamar Chase. There were there were big there were uh, there were big Zoom calls. There were, there were uh, podcast meetings about it. They you know uh, my man Bingo Jim brought guys on. My man Zim Hude and my guy Ace. They had guys on, on their platforms just arguing about Chase versus Panay. And I was one of the ones. I'm, I'm a true lineman. I'm, I picked Panay. Like I, I thought you know it was a better solution. But Joe Burrow kept saying. Hey, hey get, get me Jamar Chase. And so everybody who's on Panay's suicide, we were wrong because having a dynamic receiver in today's game overcomes a lot of stuff. And I've seen it personally myself. And I think uh, the guys uh, they have on the offensive line are, have done a solid – they've done a great job. They've done a solid job. And you can't say they haven't done anything because Joe Burrow is having a phenomenal season. Um, Chase and, and, and uh, mixing those guys are having Pro Bowl season. So – you can't say the line is terrible. They're just not up to par, um, I, I guess, nationally with what everybody thinks the rest of the groups are. So they, they have done it. They have done a really good job. But I wasn't on the Panay suicide, and I admitted five months ago after the Ravens, the first Ravens game, 
I was completely wrong. <laughs> you know, having a dynamic receiver in today's game is a huge ordeal, huge thing to have. Will you be in Los Angeles? Uh, you have any any schedule uh, connected to the to this team and this game? Uh, no, I probably won't. I'm going to be um, Cincinnati on Monday for the um, to, the, the send away to the guys, but I'm definitely not going to to LA. I thought I was, but I changed my mind, so I'm not going up there. You going to the parade if they win? Oh, definitely be the parade. <laughs> right, so we're gonna be at the, you got we're going to be at the. Um, Gonna be at the pet rally Monday to send them off. Have a good time up there with some of the, some of the Bengals legends up there, and uh, um, just have a good time, man. Just hoping for hoping for the best, and um, I think they have a chance to win it because they're, they're so red hot right now. They're so confident, and um, they have just as good a chance as anybody else to win this game. I want to ask you about two Rams real quick and get your perspective first. Aaron Donald, what does the 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 Pro Football Hall of Fame finalists see in Aaron Donald, who year in year out produces unlike any defensive lineman we see? He's an all-time great. Um, my friends and I argue all the time about him versus Warren Sapp. And, you know, I, I think Warren Sapp is one of the best players ever to play football. Um, but what Aaron Donald is doing right now in today's passing league is it's unbelievable because he's getting it, he's getting his numbers from inside, from the three technique. And it shows you the importance of people always talking about, oh, left tackle, left tackle. And I've been I've been one of the guys that's been saying about 15, 17 years that um um, the 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 rushers they come from everywhere, and you know, and the the whole '80s per- perception of the left tackle was a big thing in the '80s. But you know, late '90s and 2000s, these guys coming from everywhere, and now Aaron Donald is making teams go out and get three techniques who can rush the passer, which is making guards become more of a premium now. Because if you if you if you put some old stiff guard in there like you, you did back in the '80s and '90s, you know he's going to kill them. So your guards, your guards are now have to be just as athletic as your tackles now because Aaron Donald's putting that much pressure from inside of the pocket, which is he's putting all time great numbers. And what he's doing is super hard because he's inside where he gets a chance to get double team a lot. But um, for some reason you still see teams blocking the one on one, which I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> that's a mistake. That is what that is. Uh, speaking of tanking, that's an example of tanking. You want to you want to you want to lose the game blocking one on one. Hey, Blocking one-on-one. Oh, yes. Andrew Whitworth, former Bengal, spent 11 years in Cincinnati, now is the starting left tackle at age 40. Put in perspective what that means. We always talked about Brady's age. What is it like to see a left tackle playing at his caliber and his status right now at age 40? Yeah, man, we, we call him Wolverine, man, because he's able to keep rebuilding his body and reforming his body. Um, you know, obviously as linemen, we think what he's doing is tougher than Brady. Yeah, Brady plays the most important position, but but you're going to look at the linemen and, and the intake it takes every game in and out to play that many years and, and play, you know, the banging that he's taking is, is, is unbelievable. Then at the level of play, what you've been playing the last several years, it, it, it's definitely a, a huge big deal. You know, um, I tell everybody, I, I raised Andrew Whitworth and you see some of the techniques that I teach my guys now. He's doing right now because we, we taught him those techniques back in 2006, and he's still doing them and, and making them to his own now. Now he's teaching young players himself now. And if you're a young player, you should be watching a guy like Andrew Whitworth and watching the style of play when he plays because that play that style of play allows you to play for a long time. And he's definitely one of the leaders of that football team and one of the reasons the Rams have turned their their destiny around and going to now his um second Super Bowl. Hey, we really enjoy visiting with you, Willie. We wish the Bengals the best of luck. And uh, 
thanks thanks a lot for the time. Hey, I'm let, sure people love it. Let everyone know about your your O line camp and everything you do. Yes, the Willie Anderson Lineman Academy. Uh, my website is down right now. We have some issues with GoDaddy right now, but you can t- you can go find me on um, Instagram and Twitter. Watch all my videos. Both same name, Big Willie seven one seven nine. But we have my academy here in Atlanta, Georgia. We put on uh, travel football camps. We train offensive linemen from college, from high school, college to pros. Um, we help guys in the recruiting. The last four years, we've, we've, we've averaged eight to 10 um, offensive linemen per year getting scholarships. This year, we have exactly 10. I'm going to post those kids um, later today on my Instagram and Twitter, how many kids we had signed yesterday and back in December. One of the biggest joys of my life, man, helping these kids who come to us, not five stars. They come to us with nothing, no, no scholarships, no nothing. And we as a company help them turn their lives around and end up signing scholarships. Some turn to five stars. Some get into D2 schools. You know I mean, it's just, a, it's, just a, it's a plethora of kids. Even had kids just want to go and earn a starting job on their JV team and varsity team. We got kids done that. So to me, um, my, my name would be real way bigger if I was just only training NFL guys, you know, because the NFL media would eat it up. But my heart and passion is these kids. And, and hopefully um, we have a lot of kids in college right now that they, they want to pursue their dreams to the NFL pretty, here pretty soon. Willie Anderson uh, took a break from that and took a break from tweeting or posting on Instagram. This guy is always making a post. Uh, and uh, he took a break from that to join us on Outkick 360. Willie, we appreciate it, man. Always a great visit. Thanks, bud. Thank you, guys. And who day? Thanks, Willie. Willie Anderson there. All right. Uh, his Bengals playing in the Super Bowl. Who day on the way out? That's right. Um, I, I We said when the playoffs started, we were going through, like, who's, who's America latch on to if it's not their team? It was Cincy then, and it's Cincy now. I'm rooting like for it's, them. It's hard to root against them, even if they're playing your team. That's how likable, to me, they are. It, it is definitely – I don't think it's you know good guy versus bad guy in this one, the no. way a lot of uh, Brady Patriots teams would have been the villain right. no to villain. most of America. No villain in this game. No villain for the Rams, but yes, the feel-good story here, way more on Cincinnati side than Is this LA's. me versus you in our draft? Uh, you've got Cincinnati? I think so. I've got Rams. So, yeah. It is odd, though, to have a situation where you have a guy who has been at the, you know, just the basement of the NFL with the Detroit Lions and Matthew Stafford. Get out of there. Uh, he got paid to do it, but get out of there through a trade. And not be go the- to the Super Bowl in year one and not the storyline not be latched on to him trying to finally win it as he – and, and, you know, this point is just now getting his first playoff It's win. because Burrow is every bit as l- likable. Though, you're right. It's because I, Burrow's with uh, almost an equally as loser-ish losing franchise. franchise. Right, right. If, I mean, if it, was, if it was Stafford that did that uh, in Detroit, he's the story. And Detroit's well, the story. That's right. And Well, he's the story if Kansas City wins that game last week. Yes. That's yeah, the story this week. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it would be bigger. More headlines when we return. We will uh, tell you some sports to watch tonight on TV as well. Yes. Also some weird stuff going on with Auburn football, uh, including uh, something that Greg McElroy uh, of ESPN just said about Austin Davis, who recently left the program that we'll tell you about. Austin Davis, who was with Seattle and was with Auburn for maybe two weeks, maybe not even that long. It as was the offensive a, coordinator. Well, a short step. What is going on with Auburn? That's next on Outkick 360. It's only a kick. 
a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Glad you're with us today. Thursday edition on tomorrow's show. Zach Taylor's mother, Julie Taylor, will be on the show. That's going to be big. awesome. That's Can't a wait big to chat right about that. We uh, will have. Uh, she'll be joining us. We will have Bobby Carpenter on the show as well, and Mike Waffle, former defensive line coach of the Rams, who, as the legend has it, uh, the story is he busted through the door after watching film of Aaron Donald at Pittsburgh and demanded that Aaron Donald become a Ram. We will get into that story and much more. That's on tomorrow's show. Storyline in the is before S- we're in Los Angeles, we're giving you that. Quote. That's right. Storyline in the SEC is. Well, among other things, what in the what is going on with Auburn, with you know Harson trying to get the Oregon job, but it was never considered. He wanted to get back out west. Derek Mason leaves after having a very nice year, and it's one of the best defensive coordinators. And, and couldn't wait to get out. Could not wait. Wanted out immediately. Goes and to got, Oklahoma State. Lateral move. Totally. La- lateral move, but has a, has a chance now to take what was a top five defense and reestablish his name in head coaching circles. I mean, that, that's ultimately what well, I mean, look, some would do. argue a step down from Auburn to Oklahoma State, no too. Uh, coordinator to coordinator, same spot. One uh, of the best defensive minds, though, in football just left Auburn. Absolutely. And this started with Bo Nix, which was a big head-scratcher. Mr. Auburn, his dad was a star quarterback also, and he transfers, and he's going to Oregon um, to now, reunite with, I think, his quarterback coach. At, uh, at right. Auburn, That's that, right. that went now, with Dan Lanning. Chad, correct me if I'm wrong. Mike Bobo was fired yes. after, right after the season. Auburn's offense, not good. Fired right after the season. And they replace him with Austin Davis, who, speaking of the Rams, a former Rams quarterback, and was... was Quarterback's co- coach in Seattle. With quarterback coach, I was going to say wide receiver. Co- quarterback coach in Seattle with the Seahawks. Takes the offensive coordinator job at Auburn. And then, I mean, less than a month, maybe two weeks, if that, he's out. And and that's where all the headlines were like, okay, what's the what's going on behind the scenes, behind closed doors with the Tigers? So immediately people thought, man, he got there and it must have been such a train wreck that he wanted out and was going to go try to get an NFL job. Uh, released a statement about, you know, I, I need to spend more time with my family and Auburn's a great place and yada, yada, yada. Well, Greg McElroy went on Paul Feinbaum's show and said, quote, Based on what I've gathered, Austin Davis was unfit for the position and was going to be relieved of his duties if he didn't step down. Now, this comes on a day where uh, Pete Golding, defensive coordinator of Alabama, got a DUI last night. Um, I think immediately you start to think about unfit. The, the way, and Greg McElroy's a smart guy, unfit for the position after two or three weeks? What could that possibly mean? Is there something personal? going on with him as there was activities going on that Auburn found out about. Um, a very strange story, and it's just another one in the line of what is happening with Brian Harson, where now all of the speculation is he is firmly on the hot seat going into year two. Normally the clock was three years for coaches. We saw it with Willie Taggart after two years. Uh, we saw it with uh, Chad Morris at Arkansas after two years. 
You coaches can get canned for really oh, poor yeah. performance in two years. It was a very mediocre year for Auburn. It wasn't terrible. Very, very mediocre this year, almost with an enormous win at the end of the season, overtime loss to Alabama. But the defensive coordinator that orchestrated that, Derek Mason, where they were great against Alabama, gone. Fires offensive coordinator, brings in a new one, gone. You got players leaving. You got coaches leaving. It's, All signs it, are it bad. It seems like a very bad fit with Brian Harson at Auburn. That may come to an end if they don't win big this year. That's uh, all signs pointing towards failure. Yeah. Well, I, on top of it, look around the West. Isn't that weird, though? Already un- unfit for the position. Yeah, that's, that's weird. And Greg McElroy, again, is an Alabama guy who would talk to Auburn people about it, that this was not a, well, uh, an Austin Davis decision. He was forced to step away, but, essentially. But he's deemed unfit for the position within a couple of weeks of being hired to replace the guy that you fired for being unfit to call plays for Auburn. He was that bad. A, heck a, veteran, of a, a veteran play caller at that. Heck of a stretch. Yeah, and it, that's what's so peculiar about it. It's not that they got rid of their offensive coordinator. It's that they got rid of the guy who's replacing their OC within, you know, 14 to 17 days. Well, and that and, whatever and, and the vetting process true, was for right, that. Right, right. I mean, again, a guy who had, had not called plays, you know, a young, younger coach in the NFL, that's a big job being a coordinator for an SEC team. Um, you, need to, you need to do your research on who you're hiring when you're bringing someone in. And clearly, either that wasn't done or Austin Davis, you know, it's true, the initial speculation that Austin Davis got there and said, I don't want to be here. This is not a good situation under this coach and decided to go somewhere else. Either way, it's bad. If that's the case and Austin Davis wanted out, Auburn's doing a good job getting it out there that it's him, not us. Looking forward uh, to uh, some games tonight. UCLA, Arizona, uh, Gonzaga's on the TV late tonight. That's always great. Uh, Ohio State, uh, I believe their game was postponed. So ESPN's going to probably grab another West Coast game to replace that. Should be some good college hoops available for you if you're looking for it tonight. If not, join us tomorrow. We'll be talking football on Outkick 360. Don't block the box. Do lock the locks. <laughs>